It's a lifestyle change. Yeah. It's an internal change of everything in your heart. So everything comes out of your mouth is differently. That's the the summary is I'm a coachy guy <laughs> where the heart is big as gold to do everything I can to help somebody else. Yeah. And I got massively challenged was I being effective. So I like results. Mm-hmm. Results are in a guy. So, and I don't think I was getting the results that I desired. I never apologized. My intention was pure, but I had a desire to become more effective. And so, what, 13 years in, I believe with thousands of hours of dialogue yeah. with this, and I work on it every day in every conversation, I've only scratched the surface of what this can do for us yeah. internally. This is the Better Wealth Podcast with Caleb Williams. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. So we are in Denver, Colorado. This is this is the first set show that we're with a camera that Ian set up in down in in our in our studio, and and so I'm excited. If you're um, listening to this, know that we're also going to have a video of this whole um, episode as well, and, and we're also it's going to be a long one. It's going to be unique because you have a lot to give, my friend. You have a lot yeah. to give. So. What, what I want to do is I want to split this up into three categories. Number one is I want people to just hear your origin story, who, who Dave was at 12 years old, you know, how, what kind of world you came into. Then I, then I want to talk about non-convincing language. This, this non-convincing language is a game changer, a game changer. I'm telling you, if, regardless of who, you're, who you are and who you're, like, where you're at in your life listening to this, this is going to be a game changer for you. And then you're you're literally here because we are making some partnerships, making things happen on the on the money side, and you blew my whole team away with all the things that we have going on. And I want to talk about life income process. I want to talk about money principles. I want to talk about the and asset. So that's that's like that's like the overall paradigm. Is there anything that you want to start off before we jump into to your story? No, we just need to get in there too, paying credit to what you're doing because none of us do it alone. Yeah. So it's the stuff that you're doing and asset. You know, that's and us. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a perfect example of of how we teach and how we think about our money it playing out in a powerful way. Yes, and and you know, just this event just by sitting here talking is coming together. Well, we need to do that in a larger, larger scale or we're never gonna get there. Yeah. All right, Dave. Um who bring me back to uh baby baby Dave. <laughs> You know, it's uh, interesting when you're, you know, you're born into this world, you don't know, and we learn. Um, I had a great family, very loving family, military family. Dad was Air Force, so we traveled around a little bit. So bounced around some from Albany, Georgia, originally. Uh, no accent at all, people yeah. can probably tell. And we ended up in Fort Walton at Eglin Air Force Base when my dad retired. We came in 1976. So I've been a panhandle Florida rat uh, for a long time. The interesting thing was, uh, you know, God kind of hardwires you a certain way. And it's not really a positive thing, but I was a kid that I never received. Yeah. I just, I just always want to give. I wouldn't ask mom and dad for nothing. Yeah. It's like I'd go around it. If my, my mom would say, hey, I'll sew that, you know, scout uh, uh, patch on your uniform. I would say, no, will you show me how to sew? Because mm. I didn't want my mom to have to do it. And I wanted to learn. Yeah. So by the age of nine, I could sew, cook, clean, change a baby diaper, run it backwards and, <laughs> and all that, helping my mom out. And so it's just very independent minded, you know, started picking up jobs when I was nine years old, started doing paper routes at 13. And so I was 13 years old, making $140 a month, mm. um, live at home as a kid. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's pretty good. Uh, getting up and throwing them on a bicycle. I was doing a bicycle, getting them on the ground by six o'clock. So it's just that mindset. Uh, 
met a lot of people. I wanted to be a, a, a pilot for the Air Force Academy. So I knew a lot of pilots, my dad being an air yeah. traffic controller. Long story short on that is I was uh, working uh, real estate, doing property management for a company. And a pilot introduced me to him because he was selling real estate on the, on the side while we were still in the Air Force. And we were just driving down the road going to lunch one day, and there was a Texaco station that had a sign for lease on it. He goes, you want to open a gas station? I said, sounds like fun. <laughs> so uh, him and I formed a corporation, opened a gas station, and my dad retired from the military, and I hired my dad when I was 17 years old. So that's a kind of a unique story. Uh, and people always ask me, where'd the money come from? Because, you know, we're a poor yeah. military family. And he took a second mortgage on a condo he had out in Destin, and we used that money as seed money to form a corporation. But I was 49% owner of a corporation. That's amazing. And my dad's boss. And I did all the relationship stuff, you know, the hiring and the firing of the mechanics, uh, the vending relationships and the part relationships. My dad did management and accounting. Mm -hmm. So that was, a, that, was a, that was a neat thing. So my parents taught me well to, to try. So a lot of credit goes to them. Uh, but there's a there's a sad side to the story as well. You know, my my dad embezzled me when I was 20 years old, and end up mom and dad divorcing, and you know, a lot of things come with that. But uh, you know, that's life. But everything went well from there. But what happened to me was when I turned down an appointment to the Air Force Academy while running a gas station. Yeah, and I wanted to be a f the front seat of a fighter plane. Well, you couldn't do that with corrective vision. Yeah, so. They offered me an appointment, and I turned it down because I couldn't fly in the front seat. Yeah. So then it was the only time in my life I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I did not have plan B. It was a pilot, or I didn't know. Yeah. So bounced around junior college for five years and majored in withdrawal. Instead of taking <laughs> Fs, I would draw out of class and just pay to do them again. Uh, but I paid every dime of it while I was working. And then finally got turned into, on to the computer world uh, and ended up going to the University of West Florida and getting a computer science degree. Wow. And then worked for the Federal Service um, for the Department of Navy for 17 years, doing programming and moved up into management and ran a large information technology program. And then the good stuff happens. <laughs> so money was a was a thing in my life that uh, I always kind of controlled it. Yeah. And in 1986, I had to kind of write down my expenses to apply for a Pell Grant. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is a good idea. So from 1986 until this day, I'm kind of anal. <laughs> I've I've tracked every penny. No way. That's just a transaction. So every penny on everything's been tracked. Just control the money. When you control money, you don't worry about it. Yeah. Because it's all accounted for. Yeah. Right? It just, it doesn't overtake you. And so that passion, people ask me about it. How did I get in business? How did I, why did I track money? I said, well, I don't want it to control me. I want to put it in its place. So I was kind of coaching money for 20 years as a layperson, not in the financial business. Right. And then in the late 90s, uh, I wanted to know how could I do better? Yeah. I'm that, you know, my slogan is the relentless pursuit of betterment. Wow. Always trying to get better mm -hmm. and learn. So I went out and it's like nice people, but it's everybody kind of wanted to sell me something and yeah. I didn't see any real help. I'm very frustrated. And from 1997 to 2003, that started weighing on me. Mm. And people kept saying, Dave, you need to get in the financial business. I loved working for the government. I had a steady paycheck and benefits and I loved to go to work and I had a great job. I had a promotion in the queue. Yeah. You're, you're the kind of person that loves anything that you do though. Well, you're around people. <laughs> yeah. Around people, it's okay. Uh, I would probably not do well on an island by myself. No, no. You and, you and me both would, yeah. would suffer. I'll, say, I'll make it. I'll swim. We're going to go. And that's when really, and we'll, I'll share a little bit about my faith walk here in a second, but it was through my faith walk that I said, why am I being called to do this? Why does this keep surfacing? Why are people yeah. asking me to do it? And, you know, I found a group that were very strategy oriented and being a computer guy in strategies, I like that. And so I made a decision in 2003 
to leave the government and quit. I quit in January of 2004 mm. and got in the financial business with a mission. It was a mission. It wasn't a lot of people get in the business, you know, to sell, make commissions yeah. or fees or whatever. And that's great. But I didn't, I, I wanted to come in and make a difference. I wanted to change the game, you know, to the consumer, to the agents and reps out there, and for the companies to put money in its place and put it in balance so people can get on with real living. And so working for another company, you know, when you're captive, there are certain things they want you to follow and do. Well, I said, so another change had to happen. Mm -hmm. It happened in 2007. So just like four years of getting rolling, because I kind of started in 2003 and overlapped when I quit the government in 2004. I left again, created my own company, mm. and, and kind of started again a second time. But I needed to be independent to create my process to do the mission that I wanted to do. Yeah, and, and just to you know give people a little bit of context – um, I was was in Pensacola, and you were you were also there. We connected. It was very it was very brief, and you were like, "I'm going to email you," <laughs> and and make a long story short, uh, we get connected, and I realized that you were one of the. And I'm saying this: we have some amazing people on the show. You are one of the most smartest people I know, and this this is what makes you so unique. And people are going to see it firsthand. On one hand, you know numbers. And you've built calculators and you've built a whole process. Some could say is the most in-depth process as it relates to our money ever created. Okay. And on the other hand, you can communicate and make complicated things simple. And in a way, you're like my hero because I, I say this sincerely because I want, I want to make this, I want to make complicated complex things simple and what makes and another thing that makes you so unique and this is something i didn't know about you when you first met i knew that there was something special but in in doing research and talking with you you have this idea of non-convincing language that i want to jump full into that if if we get this it not only will help us when it comes to our business it not only will help us be better entrepreneurs and not only will help us do all those things it'll also help you have a better marriage and parent better and just communicate better. And, and so, uh, you ready to jump in? Oh, yeah. that's a big <laughs> I, I just built you up, so that's no pressure. Uh, so, so non-convincing language. What, what is non-convincing non language, and how can we apply it to our life, and why should we apply it to our life? Well, the even the name of it, non-convincing language, is uh, not a word. Non-convincing is not a word. And so being a Southern boy in the South, we're allowed to make up words. It's just one of the rights of being a Southern boy. Uh, unconvincing would be the real word. And the, how it developed was uh, coming from a family with a lot of challenges and stuff, a lot of depression in my family. I'm like the goofball. I probably need some medicine to come back to neutral from the goofy side. Uh, so I learned a lot from that. And then being a coachy guy, my spiritual gifts are teaching and encouragement. Yeah, You know, I've been kind of life coaching since I was 12 years old. Uh, from philosophies that I had. My mom and dad would call me out of the room and say, you know, talk to people. So being this coachy guy, right, with good intention, yeah. uh, I, I challenged myself. Uh, it's probably in the 2000s, early 2000s, uh, that, well, that we have great intention in communication. We want to help somebody. The question is, are we being effective? Yeah. A lot of times we have great intention. We go in with our message and our motivation and our rah-rah or our correction or whatever it may be. And with a pure of heart, and we, we feel good, right? It validates our pride and ego right. that, man, I you know, encouraged them, but did it have a result? Yeah, totally. And what I found is most of the time it didn't have the result that we thought it could or would. 
So it's challenging because I want to produce a result. I want to be effective. Yeah. So how do we become more effective? So it, I was growing my uh, faith walk too. So mm. without this, I don't think it would have happened. So always been a believer, you know, was saved at 19 years old, but wasn't practicing it, right? Wasn't disciple. My family didn't go to church. So like a lot of people, well, I got saved, you know, and was in the club, but nobody helped me grow in the club. And which is something that we need to do better at in church. My wife and I hated the hypocrisy of church. Yeah. So I stayed out of the church out of my own ignorance for a long time. And my wife would go to church. So we were equally yoked in belief, but I just, yeah. you know, would make a sore excuse not to go. And I'd golf on Sundays and she'd go to church. So she was my spiritual leader. Mm. I'm supposed to be hers. And so we married in 1992, met in 1988. And she goes, well, will you go to church? I said, when we have a child, I'll do it. Which is just another lame excuse for yeah. me to, to back out of something. So we have a kid in 2000. Well, I took him to church. And, uh, and then I learned the hypocrisy that I was doing by denying joining with my brothers in Christ. And so then I matured and took over the, the spiritual leadership role in my life. So one thing for men that are listening to this, I'd encourage you, if you're a believer, there's not an option, guys, we are supposed to be and must be the spiritual leader of our household. That's just, that's the critical thing for us is to be the spiritual leader of our household. And I'm telling you, because I wasn't, and credit to my wife, hanging in there with me. Yeah. And so from my faith walk and reading scriptures and learning the Bible and seeing what it had to say, there was a message in a study group in 2007. And a buddy said, you know, Dave, you want to change your business and for the better. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. make sure it's for the better. Yeah, he goes... Think about this. Get out of the convincing business. Get in the sorting business and sort fast. Hmm. Get out of the convincing business. Get into the sorting business and sort, and sort fast. fast. Means be in front of the people that want to be in front of you. So his encouragement to me was, Dave, you're the guy that comes in on the big white horse wanting to save everybody. Yep. I said, That'd be right. That'd be <laughs> Amen. You'd be correct. And, uh, and he goes, but sometimes you're helping people that they're not ready for your help. Mm -hmm. They may not want your help. And so you need to be in front of those people that want to be in front of you. So I started digesting that. That was November, of, I think November of 07. It took me till about July or August of 08, mm. just digesting that context to internalize it mm -hmm. instead of making it a slogan or a thing. Get out of the convincing business, get in the sorting business and sort fast. Be in front of the people that want to be in front of you, right? All that quick convincing. So I took that to a, a bigger scale. What would our language look like if we didn't convince, we didn't justify, we didn't validate? But, well, I don't know. There's all kinds of things out there in the psychology world. You know, and, and Maslow wasn't a great psychologist, but he has the you know, hierarchy needs that are people are familiar with. And the top of the chart is self-actualization. Yep. We're all trying to validate and have meaning and purpose. And people that say, "Oh, I don't need validation." Yeah, you do. Listen to the comment hey, you just you made. Just, you just need <laughs> you just validated yourself. Yeah, you're just you're trying to justify. <laughs> So we all need it. It's a human uh, trait in nature, and that's, that's who we are. So I looked at that and said, well, what would that look like? That's 180 degrees away from how we communicate. So most of the time when I see communication, if you really pay attention to it, we're two people yapping at one another, trying to validate our comments, our views, our jokes, whatever it may be. So we have meaning and purpose. An argument is two people yapping at one another, trying to get validation for their position. So what if we didn't, and what would it look like? How do you do it? So they were just questions. I didn't know. So I started pursuing it. And I started talking to people about it. And then we go, Dave, this is, this is important. I go, what? Well, this thing. Said, what thing? Well, this thing you're trying to do. Yeah. 
because I really didn't have a name for it yet or anything. I was trying to pursue how do we communicate without convincing. And did you do that through the business lens? Would you, were you saying, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to, no? Yeah, but more than that, every day, every conversation at home, yeah. in church, you know, sharing faith and in business. I like, if I'm gonna, communication happens everywhere. 100%. So I didn't draw a line and say, I'm just going to like take this new idea or some technique because they all fail most of the time, and try to implement it in my business. I didn't do that. I just was curious. I was asking questions. And as I was reading my Bible, I would see things that helped. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when people ask Jesus, well, who are you? He'd ask a question. Who do you say that I am? He didn't defend himself in front of Pontius Pilate. Yeah. The crowd's going to kill him. We'd all turned around and said, wait, I'm innocent. Let me explain. <laughs> and he didn't do that. And so... Just all these little things, and, 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 and Proverbs says, a wise man draws it out of you. What do we do in life? We're trying to shove it into you all the time. Yeah, you're totally right. Our, our views and our opinions. Like here, In sales, what are we doing? Trying yeah. to convince people to buy the thing that we sell, and we're trying to justify it's good for them. Yeah. And it may be, so nothing wrong with that sometimes. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong or better or worse. Right. I just wanted, I had a desire, a personal desire to be more effective. So let's 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 role play because I think this is going to be really powerful. And so let's say in a typical and I do this. I mean, I'm fall victim to this all the time. Someone asks me, Caleb, what do you do? And and or let's just say, tell me about the and asset, or should I get the and asset, or why why should or what's a question that someone could ask me as it relates to like directing at me? Well, even being in the financial business, yeah. right? Why should I use you for any financial help at all? And and I immediately go. Because we did this exercise. I wish it was recorded. I did, we did this exercise last night. And I immediately go to all the benefits. Oh, we can help you get clarity. We can help you be efficient. We can help you get the, all the da, 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 da. No one cares. Not yet. I'm like, yeah, not so, yet, so don't care. break down what, what you should do instead. Or why is that a problem? Problematic at first. Well, it's, it's not. I never say, I don't like the language of this is what you should do. Okay. That's. The coaching I did all my life, yeah, telling people what they ought to do, yeah, with the purest intent to help them, yeah, right. If you see somebody doing something, just hey, don't do this, exercise more, lose weight, right. And people hear that they already know that basically, and so it's not should do. I challenge: Why do we do it? What creates that thing inside of us when somebody asks us a question that we're so fast to want to defend and justify? Kind of like, hey, Dave, why should I use you as a financial guy? Well, you know, because I've been in business a long time and I got a great process, you know, that I built, Amy, and uh, all these things, right? We just start vomiting on people why they use us. Hey, why should I use you as a realtor? Well, because I've been in business a long time. I know the community better than everybody. You know, we just start, and I'm not saying that's bad. I just, I was challenged saying, is it effective? Right. I think our words back to somebody are more effective when we understand what they're really asking. See, most of the time when people say something to us, it's assumptive. Mm. We start conversations assumptively, which is one of the pillars of non-convincing language. And so these pillars develop from these dialogues. So, so people say, Dave, what should we say? I'm not, I'm not even trying to correct what people say. Right. I was like, figure it out. I'm just challenged by communication. So if somebody said now, if they asked me, yeah, Dave, know, Dave why should I go ahead? Yeah. And, uh, why should I uh, work with you as it relates to my money? Uh, Caleb, I'm not sure that you should. Do you mind if I ask you a couple questions? So this is what we call asking fundamental questions, almost a question before these questions are happening. Yeah. 
are you really looking for financial help? The reason we ask that instead of, you know, do you want to do something? If you don't have a desire for financial oh, yeah. help, what difference does it make what I do? Yeah. If I, if I don't actually need help, I, nothing that you say is really going to. So why do I have to give my 15 bullet point elevator yeah. break talk to convince you to come in and have a meeting with me? Yeah. So some people say, nah, Dave, I'm kind of a do-it-yourselfer. So they say, now I'm curious. It's like, well, if you're a do-it-yourselfer, then, you know, why is it you even ask to work right. with me if you're a do-it-yourselfer? See, so I didn't have to spew all over him to convince on something that yeah. was not going to happen anyway. So if somebody says, so fundamental question is, are you looking for help? Yes. What kind of help are you looking for? Would you mind explaining to me? It's called third yeah. part of the obstacle. We'll get in the pillars in a minute. <laughs> Would you mind explaining to me the kind of person or firm you'd want to work with that you'd be excited about starting to get to work? Because it's going to take some work on your part. Oh, and then I would start telling you what's important. And then by you telling me that, I can filter, sort. Oh. I might not be a fit for you. Yeah, you're right. right? You might say, hey, Dave, I want a guy that does this, this, and this. And, this. and I don't do that. I yeah. say, brother, that's great. I don't do that, so I'm not a fit for you. Yeah, I've convinced him of nothing about what I do. Yeah, and I'll try to find him some help. Now, if he lays down, Dave, I want this, this, and it's a perfect fit. Yeah, then all I say is, based on what you said, yeah. I think what I do is a good fit. Yeah, get out of the convincing business and get into the sorting business and sort really fast. And make sure you understand what's really being asked of you, instead yeah. of just our habit is just to respond. Man, just respond. Can you imagine if if people that went to networking events got this? Yeah, it was a big. I was in BNI for a long. Oh time. Oh my goodness! And uh, <laughs> uh, so we had a lot of conversations about you know everybody trying, which is okay. What, sometimes when you're asked to demonstrate, right? We call it ask permission to demonstrate, right? Hey, would you mind if I showed you something? So, yeah, they show me, but I'm not going to do that unless I have a purpose or meaning right. from a dialogue in front of that. Well, and, and here's the devil's advocate here is, and this is something that goes in my brain, is sometimes people don't know what it t- they even want, especially when it comes to their money. I mean, especially with what we're teaching people, like it's, they're not necessarily, they don't even know that that's possible. But what you're saying is look for their deeper root because everyone wants something deeper than just a rate of return or just, or quote unquote control. Like they want something deeper and if you get down to the root of that, you can you can sort real quick. Are you a fit or are you not? Well, and most people don't take the time because yeah. part of validation and justifying is whatever you know I'm selling, whether it's vacuum cleaners or insurance or whatever. We we have a job at hand. We got to go sell to make a living, and and people need to make a living, and that's fine. But we put that out in front that as soon as somebody even, you know, breathes a little bit our way, we think, well, we want to pounce on them and say, hey, you need to buy my vacuum cleaner, space, whatever. <laughs> and, and maybe they need a vacuum cleaner, maybe they don't. Right. But, it, but then in the sales world, and then in any world, sharing faith, dialogue in marriages, parent-child relationships, we could give a million examples. It becomes a burden on that person. It's a burden to convince. It is. And it doesn't build rapport. And so it makes it miserable. I mean, yeah. it's... It's it's exhausting sometimes for salespeople because they're trying so hard to convince somebody to buy their widget. Yeah. I'm just my challenge is, what if we didn't convince? So how are people doing this wrong in relationships like a marriage or a dating relationship? You know, when somebody comes up to you, there's a great because this is a dialogue. I try to share yeah. dialogues that really happen. So yeah. These aren't made up stories. One of the great examples that shows some of the depth of this was we have some friends that we had talked about yeah. language in church and stuff. And they had a challenge with one of their boys. He's 15 years old hmm. and uh, was, 
they weren't really dating, but a little relationship with a girl that's a little bit older. And she was sending him some text pictures that were a little inappropriate. Oh, wow. Wasn't, you know, down to nudity yet or something yeah. like this, getting a little provocative. Okay. And um, she was pushing 18 years old. He's 15 years old. So parents got that separated. So that was going on. So there was a little angst there. But he had come to his mom because he wanted to go to this party. And mom said, no, you can't go. He made a comment to her, well, mom, you don't trust me. Okay, so she, they got in the battle there. Mm-hmm. You know, well, why do you say that? Well, mom, you just don't trust me because, you know, and blah, blah. And so it didn't go well. So being friends, they called uh, me and my wife over, said, can y'all come over and have dinner? We want to dialogue some stuff with you about a situation that with our son. So I went over there and I told, I, they told me that story that I just told y'all. And I said, well, let's walk through this again. So this is the only way to learn this is replay dialogue and learn. But now watch how this stuff comes alive. So the son, mm-hmm. not knowing all that his mom knew, mom, not understanding everything about where this is coming from, mm-hmm. they never had a conversation. They had a battle, a little blowout. So when a child comes to a parent, right? So uh, you don't have a kid yet, but <laughs> let's pretend for a minute you okay. did, and okay. then we'll go back to the real story. If, uh, if a child of yours, 10, 12, 13, 14 years old, came up to you and said, Dad, you just don't trust me. What would you say to him? I, I would, I would immediately get defensive, and and re- respond back. In what way? Give me a response. Oh, geez. Um, I would. I mean, it depends on the situation, but I would say, um, no. I, I. Well, I probably would say I trust him. Maybe not. I don't, I don't know what I would say. What would so, you say? <laughs> well, now, <laughs> it's different now because I got all the stuff. In my right. Mind. Right. So typically what happens is like, some people say, well, you're right, I don't. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I do. Why'd you say that? Right. Okay. So here's what happens. Regardless of the response, we go in that conversation from a word assumptive. Yeah. Right? So we got to break it down to the word now if we're really listening. Mom, you don't trust me. Do you think the mom knows what the child means by trust, trust. his definition of it? No. How he views it, his no. experience? Or do we even know that's really the problem? That's an expression. The problem that we're talking about might be deeper. Yep. And we never get there. So we never really hear our children. So we ran it through the lenses of non-convincing language, right? Which is a philosophical approach to dialogue. It's not a one, two, three step technique thing because techniques are short-lived and then we can't remember them anyway. Yeah. So it's a heart change matter. So we just role play this. We don't know how it really went. And we're not saying it's better or worse. Just try this on for science. So, I asked her, when he came to you and said, Mom, you don't trust me, don't assume you know what he's really trying to say yet. That really might be it, but just don't be assumptive. What if you validate him a little bit to make sure you hear him? Mm-hmm. Son, thank you for bringing this up. Trust is an important matter. Would you help me understand better what you mean by trust? Yeah, I want to make sure I'm in the same context as you because this is an important conversation we're about to have. Mom, I wanted to go to that party, and you wouldn't let me go. Son, I understand that. So you felt I didn't trust you because I told you no to go to this party. Yeah. Can I share something with you? It had nothing to do with trusting you. You know the girl issue? You didn't know this. I found out back channel she was sneaking her way into this party that you're going to. I didn't want you around her from the issues, so I didn't trust her. Hmm. That's a whole different dialogue between a mom and a child, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's just a lot deeper. It's getting down more to the root than the surface. And when you think about it, we do assume so many things. 
we are so assumptive when you think about how we communicate. And, and well, sometimes we're right. Yeah. But what if we're not? What did we miss? Yeah. Right. So we hear words, examples, a million examples in, in life. If uh, you knew being a believer, if somebody yeah. came to you, Caleb, and said, you know, hey, I know you believe in the Bible and all that, but I just think it's a bunch of hooey. Now you got to let go of some things you've learned from, from yeah. our yeah, dialogues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what's typically, how did how I would I would try to justify, about? I would try to justify why you're wrong. And why you're right. And why I'm right. right? Yeah. Because your view is right. Yeah. So it's, you know, everybody's truth is their truth, yeah. right? Believers yeah. have a truth in the Bible. But we get defensive in nature. Well, why don't you believe in the Bible? I mean, you must just be an idiot, or you know, yeah. there's going to be these feelings that now we got into. Now we're in a battle. Yeah. Well, communication, whether it's a politics or Bible or general conversation, ought not to be a battle, even a disagreement. Good debates are awesome, mm. but we turn debates into feelings, hurt feelings, and 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 we build walls and barriers and we push away. One of the pillars, again, right, was pillar number four. We'll get them in order here in yeah. a minute. Statements don't require a response. We need to ask ourselves, why do we feel we need to respond to statements all the time? Mm. Notice what I said. Statements don't require a response. So it doesn't say don't respond to statements. Right. Because I'm telling you, if you're standing at the grand canyon with your <laughs> wife, looking over, she goes, hey, this is beautiful. You better respond. I say, yes, ma'am, and I'm glad I'm with you. <laughs> right. So there's times that we respond. But the challenge is, why do we feel we need to respond all the time? See, right. if somebody came to me and said, Dave, I know you believe in the Bible. I don't believe in it as much. I'd be, okay. I'd, I'd acknowledge that I heard you. Yeah. But you haven't asked me anything yet. Yeah. And what I want to do, right, because as a Christian, I want to evangelize. I want to create dialogue without walls and barriers. Mm-hmm. And so just be quiet for a second, because I'll usually say something again. Like, well, Dave, you believe in it, don't you? See, no justification. Just yep. answer the question. Yeah. And then they usually they soften just because there wasn't this pouncing. Yeah, they'll go, Dave. It's, they'll soften up. Most of the time, it goes, Dave. I just, I just, it's hard to believe. I go, it is. Have you read the thing? <laughs> These stories are incredible. Right? Yeah. And so now we're just in a in a dialogue. Right. And my job as a Christian is just to be a witness in a dialogue and share the good news and the gospel. Wow. And so I don't need to get a battle and be self-righteous. This is one of our biggest issues, not just with sharing faith of Christianity or any other purpose of life that people, you know, do rallies and everything for. Why do we think we need to shove it in people's face versus just take a stand on what you believe? And if you believe in something strongly, create dialogue where people will at least listen to you. Yeah. Doesn't mean they'll agree with you. Just because I have a faith conversation with somebody doesn't mean they're going to give their life to Christ that minute. Right. I hope they did, but um, my job is just to be obedient and share and do it in a way that it can be received. Yeah. And make sure I understand them and their view. You know, Stephen Covey says in his yeah. book, Habit Five is seek first to understand, then to be understood, then to be understood. The Bible says in the book of James, right? Be slow to speak. Yeah. Quick to listen and slow to anger. It says, no man can tame his tongue. So it's, we're going to have a hard time doing this. <laughs> right. And so that's what makes it a great challenge. So there's just, if you listen to people talk, like like eavesdrop a little bit on people, right? Yeah. Just listen to a conversation. And what you'll pick up in here is most all of it is not good dialogue with depth. No. It's surface a, level. It's a surface level yapping at one another. We're talking at one another instead of with one another. There's going to be so much more that we'll go dive into as we go through this, but let's start with the pillars. Yeah, so the pillars. <laughs> and I really want people to get this. Like, this is so important, you guys. I mean, this has changed the way that I've 
communicated, by the way. Even even today, it was funny. There'd be times where you'd make a statement and I'd be snarky. And I'm like, <laughs> that statements don't require uh, responses. They don't. No, so we have to be careful. So the pillars, what you have to, the hardest thing to learn about the pillars when we state them is people want to use these pillars as a technique. They want to say, okay, so I don't this, I want to do this, and all these levels. That's not what they are. Right. The pillars are called pillars because they're a framework. They're not in order. They're just there. Okay. So we call them one, two, three, four, but- It's not like an order. No, because look, statements don't require response. Yeah. Somebody could just come up to you and make a statement. Right. Okay. So now watch how they lead to one another, right? Uh, I'll state them and then we'll go back. Yeah. So pillar number one is never start a conversation assumptively Hmm. with assumptions. Well, here's the problem. And this is what makes it challenging. We start every conversation with assumptions. We have our own definition of words. We have our own experience in life. We have our own political views, spiritual views, everything. So when people talk to us, it's running through a lot of filters through our life and experience. So it's kind of hard, truly, to put yourself you know, in the bleachers uh, and really take in information just pure. Without See, understanding is not agreement. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Sympathy oh, is agreement. Yeah. And so okay. I don't have to agree with you. I need to understand you. So don't start assumptively. So pillar number two is ask amazing, i.e. fundamental questions. Kind of like the advisor thing. Hey, are you really looking for financial help? See, that's a fundamental question before mm. anything about yeah. somebody advising or being a, a, a financial professional, right? So third is third part of the obstacle. This is the hard one for everybody, but people can relate to it. It's, it's not between me and you. You know, everybody's heard criticize the act, not the person. Yep. In faith, criticize the sin, not the sinner. Yep. Well, we have a, we're very critical and we're very judgmental. Yes. Self-righteous people. Why? Because we're trying to justify ourselves. And to justify, you have to find someone or something blameworthy. Yep. Well, we're trying to get into don't justify. It's just a human trait. So we'll talk about how you get real justification in a minute, or at least one way yeah. that we know of. And then pillar number four, statements don't require response. So watch how they roll together. So if somebody made a statement to me, like if somebody came up to me in the financial business. Yeah. So Dave, you know, I hate annuities. Okay. I acknowledge I heard you. But you haven't asked me anything. So what, I don't have to defend an annuity. Yeah. It's just yeah. a thing, right? So I just listen. And then they'll do something. So now I go to number one, don't be assumptive. See, just because he made the statement, don't assume... Yeah. You know everything about where that come from and why. Yeah, totally. I need to understand that. But I don't want to be challenged. You're like, well, to my benefit. Now, I'm just defensive if I go, well, why do you hate annuities? Do you know anything about annuities? Don't you know how good annuities are? Yeah. Now you're in a battle. He's going to defend his position. You're trying to defend yours. Yep. It's not going to go well. So I just say, okay. I say, well, Dave, you sell annuities? I do. Why do you sell them? You mind if I ask you something? So calm it down. And you're and you go to you go to pillar number one. You you're well. They just roll together, so I yep. don't want to be assumptive. Yeah. Now I got to ask an amazing question, and you didn't justify yourself. Justify me. Yeah. I didn't justify the annuity. Yeah. And justify anything. I want to understand better. Yeah. And I'll go. You know, you brought this up, so there's some strong feeling coming out of you because I hadn't even brought up the word <laughs> annuity, and you told me you hate them. And I said, so that's coming from somewhere. Would you mind sharing with me what this feeling about annuities is and this kind of angst you have about them? Well, Dave, I've just heard, and now we're in dialogue. Yeah. I said, yeah, I've heard that too. And some of that can be true, and sometimes it's not. So can I ask you this question? A hammer is a tool. Yeah. Is it a good one or a bad one? Depends. Depends on what? 
depends on what you want to accomplish. Right. If I want to, if I want to put a nail in a board, a hammer is a good tool. If yep. I want to cut a board in half, it's not the best tool. It's not the greatest. No. So <laughs> no. I yeah. said, an annuity is like a hammer. It's not a good or bad tool. It's a tool used appropriately. They have their place. The problem with them is like the hammer. Yeah. Is a lot of people selling them or are, are, are trying to, you know, make everybody, if it's a hammer, everybody's a nail. 100%. Well, not everybody's a nail. So they don't need a hammer. But that's what they sell. So that's what they push and justify. That's where it's wrong. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's break down each point. Any dialogue, you can see where it fails, will fall into one of those contexts. Yes. So use those pillars as framework and context to a conversation. You know, did I really understand them? Was right. I, which is really assumptiveness, right? Yeah. I was assumptive. I jumped in there maybe too quick. I didn't ask enough, right? So you got to be careful with this too. Don't you? Like I said, if you use it as a technique, yeah, it it won't work. It will make things worse in a sense because you think I got to ask a question. Now you're now you're grilling somebody. Yeah, it's not about grilling somebody. It's about making sure you understand what they're saying. Yeah, and it really. So where does this is where's this different from like what Simon Sinek talks about starting with why? Because you, I guess you're the one starting with why. Well, I'm not starting with why, right? I'm starting just with an understanding. Yes. You know, uh, Simon's stuff on, on, on defining your why, which is awesome, is for you or a business, depending on the context you're talking about, to express the meaning, the why you do what you do before you do the what or the how. Yeah. See, so in support of his idea, you know, when you say the what or the how, especially the what, you know, yeah. like he gives an example of uh, computer companies. Yeah. You know, you, you give the how and the what, which is convincing. Yeah. And he says, you know, people don't buy your how or what, they buy your why. And so that's an expression outwardly of defining something. Define your why. Yeah. Understand your why. It can be personal or for your business. Yeah. It's not anything to do really with ongoing dialogue in a conversation. Hmm. Did, is this something that just hit you all at once when you were when you were studying, or did you like what pillar did you find like first, and how did that build, and why why the order? So, so I know I'm asking you three different questions, but I'm wondering because you said this was a process. Yep, and and it's pretty comprehensive as far as it pretty much everything as as it relates to communication falls under one of these four. How did it? Because there's not a lot of, there's really no one talking about this. Not, there's a lot of similar things where people talk about empathy and understanding and stuff, yeah. but not at the depth that, you know, for 12 years, 13 years, we've had some amazing dialogues of very sensitive things, yeah. uh, negotiating things in business, yeah. uh, courtroom things. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a whole approach that we all understand internally, yeah. but somehow or another, we yap off at the jaws and that we don't get so the pillars, they didn't happen overnight, and I, I really didn't have pillars. Yeah, I just had this idea that I was talking to people about going, hey, and they would say something, and then they just started showing up. That's why yeah. it was a philosophical thing. Yeah, It's kind of like, don't be assumptive, because we've heard all that, right? Yeah. We've heard these things, but we've never put it in a framework to change the heart. See, the Bible says, all cost, strong statement, at all costs guard the heart. Mm. It is the wellspring of what comes out of us. So think about... If you're frustrated and angry, what comes out of the lips? Not good things. Not good things. And so when we get into an argument with somebody, right? Look at what's going on in our political environment today. Both sides are yapping at one another, trying to justify their party and their position. Yep. Yep. And that would be okay if it was a true debate of trying to understand even without agreement. 
but it's not. It's now personal, and there's a lot of hate going on, and a lot of things that are being said on both sides that shouldn't be said that are mm-hmm. personal attacks on people, right? And both sides are doing it, so I don't care what side you're on listening to this. <laughs> you know, I'm, you can't, def, you know, say this one and not that one. They're right. both doing it, which is right. irritating for all of us American people. Uh, but it's just an example of what happens in communication, how it breaks down. Mm-hmm. If somebody came to me and said, well, Dave, I kind of support the new Green Deal. Okay, well, what's going to happen for somebody that doesn't like the idea of the Green Deal from the way it's been presented? I, they're going to just get really defensive or just pounce on you. Right, they're, they're going to start, well, why didn't, you know, we're going to kill the cows and we're going to not have airplanes. And <laughs> so how the conversation start? It started assumptively. Yep. I have no idea what that person knows about the Green Deal. Yeah. Which Green Deal? Because multiple things have been said. But so you even take a political event like that or an idea, right? Where here's what we miss. There might be something good in that conversation. Totally. Right? Totally. There might be an idea that says, you know what? We need to work on that. It might take us 20 years, but I think that's smart that we do that. Right. I think we need to take care of our planet. Okay? We're not going to get rid of all the airplanes next week. Sorry. Right. It's right. not going right. to happen. So those conversations never go anywhere because we get too defensive. So there's no understanding. There's a, you know, I hate to say the word, but it's really like vomiting on one another to get our yeah. point across. And nobody wants to be vomited on. So every yeah. everything you look at, just watch. Yeah. Right? News shows aren't news shows anymore. They're all reality TV, you know, just blabbing. Yeah. Right? Very little news in them. And it's all trying to validate a point. Mm. Okay? So it doesn't mean there's sometimes we don't need to validate or run campaigns. I get that. But in our everyday walk in life, uh, why don't we take the time to get in this dialogue? So that's how the pillars were built. So when I would talk to people, I kept challenging these things. I kept challenging them for me. Dave, are you being yeah. assumptive? Yeah. Why did you respond to that? What, more importantly, why did I feel I needed to? Yes. See, that's yes. the philosophy of non-convincing language. It's not, okay, let me break out my little four-pillar card here and, and go, okay, which one does supply? Yeah. That's not it's, how it's it more works. of a heart deal. Like you have to, you have to be at the right place. Um, so let's walk through each four. So first one, any question or how do you, how do you coach people on being aware? Because again, this is not a technique. It's not going to happen overnight. I found myself even today, you're here with us. I found myself even today, assuming different things. What, what is something that you do or you coach people on as it relates to checking your heart, checking your mind as it relates to, am I being assumptive in this? Okay. Let's just take an example today. Well, when we were on the board going over some stuff, and I'd put something up on a process that I use. And he said, well, Dave, I'm going to challenge you on this or (laughs) rock the boat on this a little bit because I don't think people are, you know, really concerned about increasing income forever or something. Yeah. And so what happened there was it was assumptive. Yeah. From your view and your point and what you're doing. Yep. Relative to your position. Correct. Right. So you didn't ask me any question to get a deeper understanding Correct. of how it might relate. And that's just a small, and we all do it. I'm guilty right. every day, by the way. So, so the framework, don't be assumptive, is when you listen to somebody, which, by the way, will make you a better listener. Hmm. Since pillar number four says statements don't require a response. If I just take that as a starting pillar, even though it's number four, it says, did that person make a statement to me or did they ask me a question? So it just slows me down mentally for a minute to make me listen better. Was that a statement or a question? Which, which I feel like most people 
say talk about statements or they say statements if you start listening there's not a lot of people are not very good at asking questions that's right so so when they make statements and we're responding you can't tell me there's not a bunch of assumptions flying around correct so if you get aware of am i being assumptive do i truly understand dr frank luntz you know wrote the book uh words at work and he's on the campaign things now and on the news about um language and campaigns and you have the little scale meters of who likes what hmm. But he has a saying, he says, it's not what you say, it's what people hear. Yep. Yep. Think of the workplace. So a boss comes by and he thinks he's very clear and gives an assignment to an assistant. Hey, I need you to do this, this. She looks at him and goes, yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Comes back 30 minutes later, did you get it done? Yeah. Oh, that ain't what I asked you. Yep. Yep. So there's all kinds of assumptions. You assume they understood what you said, the way you said it. And just because you got confirmation wasn't there. Yep. And so little things happen all the time that we're just not clear. We're running around yapping with tons of assumptions. So if you just get this awareness of, am I down to the word level? So what pillar number one really does is when you listen, listen to the word level, yeah, not just to the sentence. Hmm. Hey, mom, you don't trust me. Get down and and identify what the word trust means. Sometimes. You don't have to sit here and question every word all the time, right? So don't say that. We're we're making people. So what do you mean by the, the word and, and not? No, don't do that. That'd be grilling somebody. But you can tell from the context of something. So it's, um, if somebody, you know, in retirement planning, if somebody comes up to me and says, Dave, I want to retire comfortably. You want it? You what does that look like? Yeah. What, what do you mean? What, so I'm supposed to? Okay, I know what comfortable means for you. Let yeah. me start. No, we don't do that. So right. that's an easier example to make a point. Well, and that was my problem earlier today. Is I made an assumption on one of the things that you were saying, and my assumption was not everyone wants the same thing, and you weren't saying that, but I was assuming that you were saying that. Yeah. So see, it's it's just it's everywhere all day. Yeah. And what happens is because something, especially when we all get emotionally compromised. Yep. You'll say something and it pushes a button, right? That's what happens. That's why people say when you go to a party, don't talk politics or religion because those things are buttons for people, right? But you can push Which, which by the way, we talked about both last night. It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right, off, right off the... And nobody's uh, bleeding. Everybody's trying no, to have all was, their teeth. It's beautiful. So it's good. And so we ought to be able to carry conversations on, even in disagreement. But here, why is there disagreement? Why does that inflame people's emotions and they get yeah. revved up? Because they need validation. Yes. And people say, they don't need validation. You're bowing up on defending that. Yeah. See, a humble, quiet person doesn't need validation. We all need some understanding, and we do need to be validated. But we get validated if we go deeper and try to understand. So if you and I were having a conversation, and maybe I disagreed with you or thought I did, my job is to ask you questions to make sure I really understand you from your view. Yeah. Right? Not from my lenses. Yeah. So it's like, I need to go to your movie theater, yeah. leave mine at home, and watch the movie through how you're projecting yeah. it. Now, why we have a hard time doing that is because our emotions are in the way. I talk to a lot of counselors and psychologists and stuff, and I go, you know this thing, empathy, that we talk about? Mm-hmm. I don't know that we can do it. And I get people say, no, Dave, I'm very you know, empathetic. Or I have no empathy. Now, think of what empathy really is. It's a true understanding. Well, from a biblical reference, the yeah. Bible says, no man truly knows another man's heart. Only God does. So I can try to understand. You think of a, an addict. So you got an alcoholic talking to an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So one says to the other, well, I understand your addiction. Maybe. 
you might understand a lot about it. You can relate to it, mm. but you didn't walk in his shoes through the way he battled it and all that. So that's yeah. a little arrogant and a little assumptive. Now, y'all might share stories and more and more line up and you have a true connection and relationship, yeah. but nobody truly knows totally. everything another person because you're not that person. So you can only be you can only be so empathetic. Well, you should keep approach it, right? So the yeah. concept, the philosophy really of empathy is ties into non-convincing language. I need to understand you to the best of my capacity. Hmm. Sometimes I might get it, sometimes I might not. But I sure I need to try, and we don't try. Yeah, that's why out of all the habits of the seven habits from Stephen Covey, and they do individual seminars on each of them. Habit five is the most sought out. Oh wow, yeah. Right, seek first to understand. So what does that tell you? We don't do it very well. Yeah. Right. So the dialogue he has in, in the book is awesome too about understanding his child and the communication that he has there. So those are the, those assumptive things out of pillar number one are just everywhere all day. Yeah. And so you have to have this awareness or question yourself. Did I really understand that person? Yeah. Now, my wife is funny. We have a ball doing this at the house because we really do this at home. She'll, uh, I'll say something to her and she'll look at me and she has that look. It's like, I don't think she understood what I said. I go, sweetie, what did I say? Oh, you said this. And she says it with conviction. I go, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> she goes, oh, well, that's what I heard. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I know I talk a little funny, but <laughs> that funny. We're you do talk better, so. quickly, which I like. So it's so there's a so just be careful and yeah. be aware to get an awareness. Am I being assumptive yeah. here? Yeah. Do I really understand? Yeah. That's yeah. the key to the the framework of number one. And so let's let's go on to number two. But number one is huge foundation. You're building the foundation. Number two, let's flush that out a little bit more. All right, ask amazing fundamental questions. Mm. So here's the, here's the question I get from this all the time. This is good. People go, so Dave, how do you come up with it? Because when people are around me, they go, yeah. Dave, you ask a lot of questions. And I do. Because uh, I want to understand. I mean, and part of me, what helps me is I'm a curious guy. Yeah. So, and, so am I. Yeah, so I, it's like, yeah. and I, I don't need, like, I, if I could go walk by somebody doing something, and I've never done it, and I wanted to learn more about it, and go, man, would you tell me what you're doing? That looks incredible. Yeah. And I love to learn and listen. Yeah. I'm a big talker, but I love to listen and learn from other people. So people always come to me, Steve, how do you come up with these questions? I go, that's a good question. I said, now watch how a good question can be birthed. If I don't jump on a statement and get emotionally compromised, my brain, intellect, my heart can work a little better. Yeah. And then if I'm not assumptive in trying to defend something, I need to understand. So if I listen, really listen, questions will be born. So, hey, Dave, how do you feel about, mm, all right, whatever the mm is. Yeah. So I go, well, I can't be assumptive. Like, I know everything he meant by that. He's asking me something. So, Dave, how do you feel about, you know, taxes decreasing? Okay, which taxes are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Wait, which world do you live in? See, so a lot of yeah. people would start, you know, if, they, if there was not some context around the conversation, it just started that way. A lot of people would assume, you know, federal tax rates or something. Yep. You know, unless that city or county had a penny tax going on or something like that, and it was all over the news. But even then, just because it's on the news doesn't yep. mean that's what he's talking about. Yeah. So what happens in conversations? Well, how do you feel? Oh, I think taxes are great. I'm glad they dropped the penny tax. And the guy's like, well, that's not what I'm even talking about. Yeah. So if you listen, the questions should come up out of be having a curious heart. So Dave, how do you feel about you know uh, tax decrease? 
I said, well, I don't know, brother. You mind if I ask you something? What tax are you talking about? Oh, lowering the federal tax rate. And I said, a lot of times what I do is like, I want to know how they, they're asking me for reasons, right? I don't know what they're trying to validate or anything. And I'll go, uh, well, I, I got a lot of questions about it. We'll, we'll get there in just a minute. You know, what's your feeling about what you're asking here? Mm-hmm. And so the more I can get out of them, the better framework I know how to respond, hmm. whether it's trying to agree or disagree. But I want to I want to respond wisely because somebody asked me something. I take that very seriously. Yeah. When you ask me a question, I want to make sure I understand it so I can give you the best answer. Kind of a something I'm learning as I mature and and communicating with people and trying to do better is you'd ask me something, and I take every arrow of knowledge I had in my quiver and just throw them all at you. Yeah. With good intention because I wanted you to have all the knowledge that I had. Yep. Not effective. Yep. I know. Now, <laughs> I, I've done that. So, yeah. I know it's not effective. It makes you feel good in the moment, though. It makes you feel good. It validates you, right? Yeah. It, 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 it does that. So now I'm learning with discernment to ask deeper questions to get more specific so I can help that person in the most direct way I can mm-hmm. and reach in there and pull that one, two, or three arrows, whatever I need that directly helps that person. Instead of, let me throw right. all these at you and so, then I end up not helping yeah, you. Yeah. So there's a lot of people listening to this that, aren't good at asking questions or that's the story that they're telling themselves and it's just hard. And I, I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with people that they're like, Caleb, I love how you can just get down to the deeper root. I love talking with you. I wish I could do this. And I'm like, well, there's nothing special about me, right? Like what, how would you coach somebody on how to ask good questions? And really, cause, cause people love people that really ask good questions and are fun to dialogue with. That's uh that would be a great training workshop type of thing to come yeah. up with and do. If we were sitting here and I was going to say, okay, Kayla, let's talk about how we ask better questions. Yeah. Okay. So I have a watch on, so yeah. I'm taking my watch off. <laughs> and so, Caleb, the goal of understanding this watch, yeah. we're just going to play yeah. and say, to understand it to the deepest level that we could, what questions might you ask? I mean, you could ask how it's made, where where it's made, how it works. See, so easy to ask questions, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So now questions, and you get better at it by you know practicing asking questions by not you know talking so much and throwing stuff on people, but by asking. I'm real. I'm a super anal butt and a, just a massive <laughs> questioner. So, see, my questions would be, yeah, I, I want to know how it's made. Yeah. So we're gonna pull it apart. Oh, wow. Man, this has a bunch of winding in its gears. Okay, so what metal is that? Where did the metal come from? How they assembled it? Hmm. How they put that metal together? How did they learn to do that metal? Yeah. Why would they use that one over another one? What determined that? How do you choose? Who thought of it? <laughs> yeah. So you could, you could have a whole when day conversation. Yeah. On questions on a watch. Yeah. Okay, now. Yeah. Here's the thing. People say, well, I don't care. Well, you wouldn't ask those questions then, would you? Yeah. So where do questions come from? Questions come from the curiosity of your heart. Hmm. So my greatest coaching on that would be is, are you really trying to understand that person? Are you trying to use non-convincing language and these little pillars as another little technique so yeah. you can manipulate somebody and get in there to validate your view? 100%. Like what I don't want is someone to listen to this and be like, oh, if I can I can just learn the, the how to play this game to be more effective. Game. So, but here's another thing. You ask good questions when you're not assumptive. (laughs) 
crazy how this these are all coming together. I'm like starting to get all this. So if you don't, it all comes down to not assuming. And then if you're not assuming, then you're already going to ask questions. And, and really, it comes back down to seeking to understand. And so the first question, right, the ultimate fundamental question is, was one by somebody says something to you or asks you something, is do I really understand what they're asking me down to the word level? Yeah. Just that question, create curiosity. So somebody says, hey, what do you think of? Start thinking, well, I don't know what they're asking me. Is there yeah. an agenda they're asking me with? Et cetera. So it's practice, and you get better at it when you practice. And see, I'll give you an example. Because I ask so many questions. If It's like my, my wife would take, and she would be mad, so we have to, <laughs> I have to edit this part out. Uh, so if, you know, we're only, this is going to be just between me and you and what, on the internet. We'll keep it right <laughs> Okay. Here. So she'll, she'll say, hey, I'm going to take the dog or cat to the vet. And we've talked about some things, right, you know, because you know, the dog had a sore on a spot or whatever. And so we have dialogued these things that we need to ask the vet because, hey, you're not always in front of a vet. Yeah. So she'll take the dog in, get that one thing done that needed to be get done. And I go, so did you ask about, you know, uh, her ears and about that spot on her back? And if the, if the food we're feeding her is the right food or should we change it? Dave, this is why you ought to take the dog to the vet. Cause I get there. I can't remember all these questions I'm supposed to ask. Yeah. And so, so why do I remember them? Because I'm curious about the dog. I want to take advantage of being in front of the vet. Yeah. And I'm going to ask a ton of questions. Why? That's a not, see for me, I'm curious and I have the knowledge resource there, the vet. Yeah. He went to school and knows stuff I don't know. Yeah. So I want to generate as much as I can to get out of him. Most people walk in and do that one thing. Yeah. I want to take advantage of the situation and learn as much as I can from a vet that knows more so I can care for my animal better. So she tells me all the time to this conversation right here. She goes, how do I get better at asking questions? Yeah. I go, keep asking. We get better at the thing we practice. Interesting. Yep. So you can't just, see, and you can't do this. Okay, so what am I supposed to do now? Is this pillar number one? Yeah, that, no, it's that, just got to come. It's got to come from the heart. It, that's a technique. Yep. If you learn them, and all the, re, the reason I, it was a long time before I framed the pillars. Yeah. You know, I was just talking about the concept of it, and everybody says, Dave, you got to put this in a format yeah. that we can use. And I was so hesitant about it because I knew it was just going to be, Here's the next language technique yeah. so I can go manipulate somebody my way or sell them the thing I want to. It's not that. It's communication at the deepest level to make sure I understand so we can be more effective and have deeper, look, not just effective, mm. in marriages, deeper, better conversations. So now let's go down to the idea of validating ourselves. Is that the third one? So what do people say? What does third part of the obstacle mean? It's... It's not between you and the other person. That's how we get emotionally compromised. Hmm. Since, somebody, since somebody comes in and a, a, a disagrees between a faith or a political view or what color something is, yep. they start to get this personal battle going on. It's very easy as a believer when another believer comes to me with an issue. Yep. Here's a great, easy example to really get the picture of third part of the obstacle. So, Dave, I'm struggling with bitterness. Brother, help me understand what you mean by bitterness. Yep. What's going on? So you're not assuming. Help me understand. Yeah, just because yeah. he had bitterness. And hey, well, question. let's do this, and I can tell you about bitterness, and I can relate yeah. to that because, you know, I was a bitter man for a long yeah. time, yeah. and here's how, you know. Nah, nah, nah. By the way, so many people jump on that train. Because we want to validate the yeah. answer and tell them what they ought to do. Yep. So the whole idea of non-convincing language is get out of the telling business, right? 
it's better. The deep, the essence of non-convincing language is get somebody to say what you want to tell them. Mm. That it's, takes some it's, skill. It's better caught, not taught. Yes, yeah, better caught, not. So taught. can you can you flesh out the third? Because I'm not yeah, sure. So here's fully... this example. So it goes. So I want to understand, right? Okay. So I'm asking questions to so see all the pillars are always there. So yeah. It's not just isolated. Yeah. It's a framework. And it says, Dave, you know, um, just little things happen, man. I get I get angry on the road. And I said, so now we got anger in here. Right? So now I picked up something else. Goes, yeah. And he goes, and then I carry it, and then I get bitter about it, and then I shouldn't do it. And people do something to me, and I dwell on it. I said, so you're dealing with anger and bitterness, and that is getting So you're putting a name on there. Right. Put okay. a name on it. Make sure we understand that me and him are relating. To, so he yeah. goes, yeah, Dave, that's it. And I go, brother, I'd love to give you some advice on this. It wouldn't be probably great. As my brother in Christ and a believer, how about we turn to Scripture, third party, okay. and see what God would have us do in this. So I joined him. Huh. And I go, why don't we look up some Scriptures on bitterness and anger and see the advice God would give me and you on dealing with this? You know, it's funny because you're also passionate about money, and you have software and truth and numbers, and I've noticed that you do this. It's it, I'll ask you, and you're like, it doesn't matter what I think. Let's see what the... Let's see what the numbers say. The numbers say. Right. So you know, our whole software is that way. It's like, I'm not going to try to convince you. Let's just put it out there and see. Hmm. And so, and, and here's what's even more important. We'll open the Bible up and get to scripture. Yeah. Right. And I won't read it to him. I'll go, hey, read yeah. that out loud. Because as believers know, God's word has power and it never comes back void. So I, I didn't go, let me tell you what you ought to do. And boy, you just need to get rid yeah. of anger and bitterness. And you just need to get over that. And that's kind of what we do. And that was my coaching style most of my life. And now I just ask it out of you. I had a friend come to uh, lunch one day and he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, Dave, I just got some trials going on. And he's a believer. I said, okay, what should I do about it? I said, well, I don't know the trials yet. Hmm. You want to share the trials? Help me understand better what's going on here. And so I wanted to get him to say what I wanted to tell him. Yeah. As a believer, you know, I just kind of wanted to tell him, hey, man, you just need to rely on God. Quit worrying about that. Yeah. So we walked through this dialogue. It's like a 30-minute lunch. And towards the end of lunch, he goes, Dave? I said, yes, sir. He goes, you know what I need to do? He goes, man, there's just sometimes you just have to rely on God. That's exactly what I wanted to tell him. Yeah. But he caught it. But I got him to say it. And at the end of it, because he knows me, we've dialogued non-convincing language for, huh. for 10 years. And he goes, you did this cracks me up because this is not what it's about. He goes, You did that thing to me, didn't you? <laughs> that non convincing language thing. I said, No, brother. I said, I just listened to you. Yeah. And and I needed you to frame it for you to be effective. What I said doesn't matter. And the reason we want to coach people, especially in the coaching world and the mentoring world, is we want to tell so much. Yeah. Because it validates us. Why don't we spend our time validating the person in front of us? Yep. So how how can parents, I'm going to call parents out all, all across the country right now, um, because I think this is something that um, is easy to fall into. And I really come when you're speaking, how, how if, you're, if your kid is doing something that you don't want, how do you parent using this principle? And then I also want to talk to the entrepreneurs and people in the financial service business and how can they take, take that as well? Give some real great, examples here's the thing gotta understand real communication is an investment of time well what does stephen covey say about efficiency in people can't be efficient with people you can be efficient with processes you can't be efficient with people yeah because people people take a lot of work i'll give an example of my son so in school uh 
he was a good kid, right? Never yeah. got in trouble, something like that. But, you know, we went to a Christian school, a little private school, and it was pretty strict on some things. And uh, they had rules. We believe in rules and consequences. Yeah. We followed them. But his little heart, he's the kind of, now you got to, you got to, you can't treat every kid the same, mm-hmm. right? This is part of communication. It ain't, everybody needs a weapon. Some do, right? And I'm not against whipping. But he, his little heart would be broken. You, you had to be careful about tearing him down more yeah. versus correcting and building up. So he knew until dad had dialogue with him, he would carry it. Little fellow would carry it, right? He might be six, seven, eight, nine years old on some of these examples. And I get home and I say, how are you today? Mom say, yeah, he got in a little trouble. Yeah. And I can see he's a little, you know, mopey. I say, hey, buddy, what's up? What happened? He goes, well, I got in trouble today. Okay, now what right there would most parents do? They would they would jump on him, and they would uh, they well, quite frankly they would get they would take that personal because they're like because you got in trouble you're making me look bad, and that's all about the parent poor it's all about child them. they never heard their child they don't even understand what the trouble was well why'd you get in trouble I taught you to behave and you go blah, blah, blah. and and that happens a lot of parenting yeah and I'm a, I don't need to spank your butt yeah I don't understand anything yet yeah so I go well help me understand I get him to say all of it so help me understand what happened. Well, and and the rule was if you talked out of turn in class, uh, they put your uh, name, they your name on the board, mm-hmm. and then they draw a straw or put a straw on the thing, and then the third thing you're in trouble. Right, so like a warning, a warning, and consequence. So we only had the first warning; it didn't even get to the second warning. So I go, tell me what happened. It says, "Well, I got my name on the board. Help me understand what caused your name to get put on the board." Well, I, you know, I spoke out of turn. What do you mean you spoke out of turn? Give me the examples. I make I need to understand. What tell me what happened? He goes, Well, the you know, the teacher was talking and I talked. And I go, see, instead of saying, Well, you know better to raise your hand and all that. See? Watch out. This was that's yeah. a lot of effort. Yeah. I said, So, so what what caused you to talk? And I said, What's the rule? Don't y'all have a rule about that? He goes, Yeah, I forgot the rule. I said, I'm not sure I believe that. He goes, I'm supposed to raise my hand. I said, yep, I think that's the rule. When you get called on, you speak. You don't just raise your hand and speak. The guy say that. And I said, so you know what you did wrong? He says, yes. I said, tell me what you did wrong. I need him to say it. Dad, I didn't raise my hand and I spoke out of turn. Mm-hmm. I said, you violated the rule. It's disrespectful. Agreed? He goes, yes, sir. And I said, so what happened? He goes, I just got my name on the board. I said, anything else? He goes, no. I said, all right. So you understand what you did wrong. Tell me what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Dad, I'm supposed to raise my hand. And? Speak when called on. Yeah, wait till I'm called on. I said, I think you understand. Yeah. And then here's what my son always knew with me. We'd have these dialogues. We'd go through it. I'd make him say it so I knew he knew it. And then I'd always say, I said, we're done with this now. And he would light up like a Christmas tree, all the weight come off it like you just took the burden off of him. Mm-hmm. And he'd get on with his playing. Yeah. And so it's even when he was real little, we'd be in Walmart and, you know, and he'd start to misbehave a little bit or touch something. I said, son, leave that alone or you're not getting what we came for for you. And he would touch something. And I said, and, and I, so here's how we hold ourselves accountable as parents. If we say it, we have to honor it. Yeah. Makes us careful what we say in punishment. Yeah. So I told him, I said, son, if you touch something else, we're leaving the store. We're there getting a buggy full of stuff. 
Well, he touched something else. We had to leave the store, right? So he's a little bitty, he's a little bee fart, you know, he's a little <laughs> guy. And uh, broke his little heart. So, you know, wise me up, maybe we should have said something different because now we got to go home yeah. and we're going to have to go back and reload a buggy. Yeah. But we do it. So we have to honor what we say. And we've done that right. to the best of our ability. So I put him in the car, put him in his car seat. He's crying. I don't leave the parking lot till we have dialogue. Son, do you know why we're in the truck? Yes, sir. Explain it to me. Mm. Well, I was misbehaving. Tell me what happened. He goes, you told me not to touch anything else. So we're going to be in the truck. I said, so what happened? He goes, I touched something. We're in the truck. I go, that's right. And you're not getting what we came to get you today. I said, that's the consequence of your action. I yeah. hope you learn from this. Wow. Right? And so I could sit there and see most parents would just, son, I told you not to touch that. How many times have I told you not? I have never told my child who's 19 years old to do anything twice. Hmm. I tell you to do it. You don't do it. The next thing is the consequence. Hmm. He's 19 now, though, and he's been a good kid. So he was yeah. easy. Not every kid's that way. I mean, look, I had a brother who lived in the same household. and So it's each kid's different. He's just a good kid, and, and we're thankful for him. But it, Kelly and I have always had to come together because we've done punishment that was out of bounds of the crime. Mm-hmm. But we honored it, and it hurt our feelings more than his. But it taught us, let's not do it when we're angry. Yeah. Let's collaborate, make sure we agree on it. And let's make sure we use some wisdom and discernment to make it match. Yeah, and let's make sure that the person that's getting punished knows exactly why. Get them to own it. Yeah. And stuff like that. That's what I do in sales. I get people yeah. to say it. So this get it to own, get them to own it makes a lot more sense. So if you're in business, your client or prospect or the person that you're serving has to own own the solution, own the result. It can't, if I care more about this than you do, it's not going to work. Well, and there's going to be recourse or uh, buyer's remorse or some of those things, yeah. right? So we need to be very careful about that. So if we're sitting there convincing, 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 yeah, and somebody buys something and then they go back with doubt, that's a problem. Yeah. And it's a burden on us. So what if we facilitate a conversation? To help somebody get what they want. That's what Ron Willingham calls an integrity selling. Mm. A good sale is helping somebody make a decision they know they need to make. Manipulation is you're helping them make a decision you that want. maybe, maybe yeah. they shouldn't make. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to the fourth. This is so good. I like this is so amazing because we're, I'm getting a really good deep understanding of this. Thank you for breaking this down for me and breaking it down for um, this whole audience. So, number four is. Statements do not require a response, but also it's about not needing validation. Well, all of it is about that. So take the big context. So most of the time where we're trying to convince, what are we trying to do? We're trying to validate. Validate. Right. And, and isn't that selfish? Now I'm going to do this on you. Okay. What do you mean by validation? <laughs> there you go. I love it. See, that's exactly what you do. So... Even when we look at the hierarchy needs, self-actualization, what is validation? Validation, most of the time for us, is getting a purpose in life. You know, self-worth, self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So how do we, where and how do we get our self-worth and self-esteem? Yeah. Wow. That If you want to get to the core of someone. I don't, I don't want to say I hate bringing up faith again. <laughs> being a faith, I love to bring up faith. It might you know, irritate some people, but they'll have to get over it. Um, in faith, right? If we're true believers, we're supposed to get our validation not from ourselves, mm-hmm. 
So here's a biblical and worldview, right? A little Bible lesson. A worldview is about us. And it's how we live. We're human, right? Mm-hmm. We're selfish. We come out of the womb, selfish little creatures. Me, me, yeah. me, 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 my, 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 right? Yeah. And our whole life and our language gets to be that way. Well, if you look at the Bible, there's nothing in the whole Bible on self-reliance. Mm-hmm. It ain't about you. Yeah. Well, being a believer, God created me for his purpose and his glory, not for Dave's purpose and glory. Yeah. I'm supposed to use my skills and abilities that he gave me with to serve the world. Mm. Right. So my validation should come from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who died for me so I can go to heaven. See, I don't, I'm not righteous. He was. I get to go into the righteous kingdom by the work of somebody else. Yeah. So I ask myself all the time, what am I trying to validate? Yeah. So I need to be validated. So I'm human. Yeah. I'm flawed in the human condition here. So people say, Dave, how do you get your validation? I get mine through servantship. Yeah. And that's why this language came about because not just coaching somebody, that's good for my pride and ego, pat myself on the back. Yeah. Yay, Dave, you did a good job. Yay. That's short lived. Yeah. When I can be a messenger and move the message or communication to affect somebody else, to get them to own it, say it, change it for their betterment, that's long lasting. Dave could fade away, be out of the picture, but the message carried on for that person's benefit. That jazzes me up. So if I go and speak and do a speaking engagement, all I'm there to do is give a message. My prayer is that message leaves me and is received in a way that benefits that person who heard it. Mm. I think I did a good speech if they forget me, the speaker, and remember the message. If all they can remember me, the message, that's great for my pride, right? Yeah. Hey, Dave, yeah, you did good. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, right? What yeah. did I talk about? Man, I don't know, but Dave, I like you. You are so good. You're right. That, that's not you meaningful. Know, you know, it's uh, one of my favorite phrases is, and let's see if I can get this, a great speaker puts, puts their speech before the people. A great communicator puts the people before the speech. Mm-hmm. That's how I got over the fear of public speaking, which is one of the greatest fears of mankind. Yeah. None of that stuff worked for me, like because I was I was a little bit of introvert and <laughs> really oh, introverted took, as a kid. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But I hate fear. Okay. And so if there's something that causes fear, I'm going to go headbutt it right until I can get over it. So I can remember in third grade when they'd ask me to come speak in front of class or read. You know how kids would read a newspaper yeah. article or whatever. Man, I would resist and get picked on one of vomit, knee shaking, all that. Yeah. Well, I got in third grade. I said, I'm, I don't like this. I don't like this fear, man. I just, that's not good. So if somebody asked the volunteer to read. I just raised my hand, forced myself to raise my hand. Wow. It took me to junior college. Right. To where I got comfortable about speaking. But what changed for me was none of that stuff looking at the audience naked helped or any of that yeah. stuff. No. Right. It's like, huh, <laughs> I don't, look at yeah, I don't want to think right. about you that way. No. <laughs> and uh, uh, I would give you some funny looks. But none of that helped. So what, I mean, what actually killed the fear for me, I mean, I got over it, was, Dave, it's not about you. And so when I took me out of it and didn't worry about if I sounded like a dumb redneck hillbilly, which when I listen to myself sometimes, I go, Dave, you're a redneck hillbilly. Uh, Why you talk? I said, I'm here to give a message. Yeah. And so every prayer that I go into a speaking engagement now with is, you know, Lord, let this message affect those people in a way that yeah. benefits them. Yeah. See, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. So it, I removed me out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're asking about four statements don't require a response. And it's about, so you see all of them together yeah. is about our validation and our justification. Now, here's the thing, folks. We need to be validated. We're yeah. human. 
We need uh-huh. to have self-worth. We just need to, it's challenging where we get it from. I ask couples a lot of time when I do couple counseling. And if I'm, especially if I'm talking to a man sometimes alone, and I know there's some issues in the marriage or whatever, I'll ask him, I said, let me ask you a question. Who validates your wife's existence? It's funny, they don't jump in there and go, well, I do, Dave, and here's how I do it. They'll go, that's a good question, Dave. So I take a little prideful moment, I go, yeah, I know, that's why I ask it, because I'm good at these questions. <laughs> and they go, they'll ask, and we'll get into the dialogue. Well, Dave, you know, what do you mean by that? And I go, how does she get fed and validated for her self-worth and self-esteem to know that she's meaningful and important in this world? We all need encouragement. Yeah. And if, here's a sidebar message for everybody. If you're not getting encouragement, I know why. Because you're not giving it. Yeah. You're going to get in the measure that you give. So go out and encourage people, and then you'll get encouragement. We all need to be encouraged, every one of us. And so you get in these dialogues, and people go, Dave, I don't don't know. Hmm. And I go, well, doesn't she need to be validated to feel important, to be praised and honored? That she means something? That you're thankful for her help raise the kids and works and does all these things. Yeah. And I said, how unappreciative we are of other people because we're too busy trying to justify our puny little butts. Yeah. And it's sad. So we all need validation. So what if we just 180 degrees, the whole idea of non-convincing language is go language different. Get out of it. Quit trying to validate you. Hmm. Why don't you spend all your time trying to validate the other person? And here's what's challenging even in disagreement. All right, so summarizing this whole thing, because then we're going to go to part two. This is totally going to be a two-part series. Um, but summarizing your, your, your upbringing and non-convincing language, because I'm telling you, regardless of who you're, you are listening to this, if you've gotten through to, to now, you're going to realize how valuable this was. And I, and I encourage you to take notes, but really get down to the deep root core, because if all, they, if all people do is write down the four pillars and they don't internalize it, it's going to, they're not going to, your communication's not going to change. That's right. So that was, yeah. So that, that was beautiful what you just said there and a great a message, better, better than I can say it. It is internalizing this framework, the change of what comes out of you. I mean, that's the, the whole game. And now, so how do you practice this or how do you work on it? Here's what I find people doing. Cause I've had people around me 10 years and, and when they work on us, when something happens, yep. the, the dialogue didn't go well, they'll come to me. So Dave, let me share something with you. I want to, see through the lenses of non-convincing language how it would have been different. Because I don't ever like to get in better or worse. I just like, I'm just trying, man. I'm trying to rank it to anything. So there was some justification, by the way. <laughs> uh, so see, we all do it. Uh, I just, we're just challenged by it. And so it's uh, with this internalized thing, right, in this framework of, of non-convincing language, uh, you will not change if you keep going back to it as, what do I say here? Yeah. What? This is what you want to avoid. What pillar is this? Mm-hmm. If you start doing that, what pillar is this? It's not internalized. They, you, you take the pillars to internalize them so they become a framework. Mm. And so when you're practicing with one another, you need, you need to do it in every conversation. Right. It's not, you don't turn it on and off. That would be a technique. Oh, I got to use this here to manipulate yep. somebody. It's a lifestyle change. Yep. It's an internal change of everything in your heart so everything comes out of your mouth is differently. Right, so it's different, and so that's the the summary is I'm a coachy guy <laughs> where the heart is big as gold to do everything I can to help somebody else. Yeah, 
and I got massively challenged was I being effective. So I like results, mm-hmm. results oriented guy. So, and I don't think I was getting the results that I desired. I never apologized. My intention was pure, but I had a desire to become more effective. And so, what, 13 years in, I believe with thousands of hours of dialogue yeah. with this, and I work on it every day in every conversation, I've only scratched the surface of what this can do for us yeah. internally. And I'm, I'm excited to go deeper with you. I, this has changed my life and is going to make me a better leader, communicator, and overall better person. So thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. Make sure you press subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your favorite podcast player.